here trying not to crack up. I know. I can hear it change in your breathing. I don't think it'll be obvious, but um, I know you too well. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, okay, boy. so... This <laughs> And this is the Miso Hungry Podcast. Itadakimasu! Just Miso Hungry! Today, as always, we are discussing everything you never knew you wanted to know about Japanese food. And today, we are specifically going to be delving into the world of miso. And it's about time, considering that the name of our podcast is Miso Hungry. Seriously. Not, <laughs> not just for the play on words, but because miso is kind of one of the flavors of Japan. It really is. I mean, that's, was that part of the sashi uh, suse so? Yeah, this, it's the it's so. It's the so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Miso. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, between rice, soy sauce, and miso, that's kind of like the holy trinity of Japanese ingredients. Mm-hmm. It really is. So, okay, we talked about this a bit in our pantry episode, in the part two, I believe. But what is miso? Well, if you want the short, simple answer, I've got three words for you. Fermented soybean paste. Yum. <laughs> right? <laughs> Why is it that so many things sound so nasty <laughs> I know. in English? I, I don't know. I, I think it's because it's not something that we're used to that we really have in our culture i mean for us fermented is not necessarily a good word whereas in for example a lot of asian cultures uh, probably i think a lot of european cultures as well fermented means awesome (laughs) i mean kimchi miso cheeses right some cheeses or i could be completely wrong yeah moldy cheese (laughs) yum (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's not not a word that we really think of as good. And same well, thing unless, with soybean. Unless like, you talk about like wine, the whole fermentation process. True, true. But it's not necessarily something we think of when we're talking about food. Plus, we're yeah. not all that familiar with soybeans here. So the way that beans are used in Asian cultures is very different from how we use them here. Which US. cracks me up because I was recently making a dessert for a like a family reunion mm-hmm. and I was specifically asked to make the dessert because one of the people that was going to be at the reunion has a bunch of food allergies and so they were thinking that I'd be the best person to ask so that I could specifically make a dessert that everybody could eat. So the dessert had to be dairy-free, soy-free, egg-free, and peanut free. So as I'm trying to figure out, I I had settled on this recipe where, you know, I tried to figure out a recipe where I'd have to make the least number of substitutions possible. Mm -hmm. And so one of the substitutions I needed to make was butter. So I I went to the store and I looked at, you know, all of the shortenings, all of the, like, the margarines, all of that. Basically, every single one has some type of soy in it. (laughs) 
And if you pick up products these days and you take a look at them, more and more of our products have soy in them. I mean, it's kind of incredible. Yet, we are very unfamiliar with them as consumers. Right. It's so weird how it's it's something that's in a lot of processed foods, but we don't really come into contact with it as its own thing. As a whole food. Yeah. Right, right. <clears throat> Unless it's tofu. Mm-hmm. And even then, sometimes people, I don't know if, I, I don't even know if the large majority, well, I take that back. I, I do know that there are still people who don't even really know what tofu is, maybe not even know necessarily that it's a soybean product. True. Very true. But I, I think that's getting to be a smaller number. I hope so. Hopefully we're helping more people realize that it's delicious too. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about the history of miso because it's pretty old. Not quite as old as rice. Well, no. <laughs> but still but pretty still, old. Yeah. The history in Japan isn't as old. From research done, they've, they think they've pinpointed it to originating in China around 800 BC. But it wasn't brought to Japan until about 500 AD. And it was brought to Japan along with Buddhism. But according to ancient Japanese mythology, it was a gift from the gods. So there you go. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It might explain why it's used so much and so well in Japanese cuisine. Yeah, well, and it kind of developed, well, not kind of, it did develop along with a lot of the other very traditional foods because it, it was brought over with Buddhism. Uh, Zen Buddhism has vegetarian culture. Mm-hmm. And so miso was incredibly important in the food preparation of, of that culture. So, you know, the as culture developed and was influenced by, by Buddhism, miso became very ingrained into the food culture. So, yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about how it is made. And this has changed over the years. There was a there's a very traditional way of making it and then there's the more modern way of making it which is a bit different, right? Yeah. Well, so it used to be and you can still see this today, but it's very rare. I have never personally seen it. But the way they used to do it is they would cook the soybeans, crush them up and and kind of mash them into balls the size of they say ostrich eggs, so large balls. And then they tied them up with straw ropes and hung them and they would grow this natural mold. And then the moldy balls would then later be mixed with salt and water to make miso paste. This kind of randomly brings to mind, I don't know if you know Matt Wright, but he's a food blogger in Seattle, this tall British dude. And he does a lot of curing meats. It's kind of the same thing. He you know, ties it up, hangs it up. It grows the mold and, and ages. And yeah. it's completely random, but that's just what came to mind. Yeah. So now there are two different methods. And one is more traditional. It's modern, but more still related to this, the hanging method. Um, and that's where, you know, they make, they cook the soybeans up. They mix it with koji, which is where they inoculate grains um, or beans with aspergillus an aspergillus culture. So they mix that with the cooked soybeans and then salt and water. And they put this mash into old cedar casks where it then sits in these casks and ferments depending on the type of miso you're making for up to two years. And so the enzymes in the koji 
the aspergillus culture will slowly, gradually break down the the mixture along with the natural microorganisms in the environment and they'll break down the structure of the beans and grains and it, it develops natural, easily digestible amino acids, fatty acids, simple sugars and all this stuff and slowly makes everything into miso. edible miso. Yeah. So this is still related to the more ancient process. Now, the modern, modern process is where they make this mash, but they do all of the fermentation in temperature-controlled plastic or stainless steel holding tanks where they it's accelerated. And a lot of the time, the ingredients used are more processed as well. So the misos tend to have less traditional value. Boo. Yeah, but it, I, I mean, it makes less nutritional. You said less traditional. Oh, did I? Sorry. <laughs> I'm tired. Less nutritional. And it is less traditional. <laughs> uh, this is, you know, it's a way to make consistent mass produce right. miso right. in volume. Have you ever had the more traditional? I mean, I, I kind of almost want to say the homemade miso. Yes. Yes, I've made miso, um, and also, uh-huh. You're and even also- more awesome than I thought. <laughs> Dude. What have you been smoking today? Uh, <laughs> no. But we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about kind of what to look for when you're buying miso, but you can, you can still buy miso made the more traditional way as well. So, I have no um, idea. Well, I mean, I, I kind of figured you could, but I just didn't think that yeah. was available here. It is, and we'll Ooh. we'll talk about that. Nice. Okay. So yes, all is not lost. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> one good thing to know is that um. one of the ways that methods vary is in what ingredients are used, and um, there are kind of four categories, I guess, based on what is used. There's gotcha. pure miso, which is just soybeans, koji, and salt, and that's called mame miso. And then you've got three other kinds where they either use they use a grain like wheat or barley with the soybeans or they do rice and soybeans which is actually 80% I guess of the total domestic production in Japan where it's rice and soybeans. So is that probably what we've had if we buy it at the store? Like your typical brands? Yeah well it again it depends but if you flip it over and look at the ingredients list you'll you'll be able to know. So how about the different you know you've you've ever been in an Asian market or even now in the regular supermarkets they're starting to carry sometimes several kinds of miso they're not all the same in fact there can be a huge variety so let's talk a little bit about the appearance and taste most well the most common kinds that I've seen are white miso and red miso but I know it can range from a very very light color to a very very dark color that is almost black yeah i've only had white and red but i'm guessing that also affects the taste yes well and let's let's clarify because this gets really confusing for people white and red when you're talking white that's a direct translation of shiro miso which is white miso but the actual color is usually more of a yellow color or even a beige color yeah yeah and it's the red not true white. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and red can be have a reddish tint, but it's usually more of a like a brown color. Yeah. So I would say it's it's generally shades of brown from very very light almost white 
to very very dark almost black that yeah, and right? yeah and some have some do have kind of a red tinge or even mm-hmm. in the really dark ones i've seen some that almost have like a purple to them huh. um and but that just kind of depends on the ingredients so yeah but yes the variation in color can be really indicative of flavor which really varies mm-hmm. depending on what you get Right. The the lighter ones are definitely the more mild ones. They're a lot less salty than the dark ones. The dark ones can be really, really salty. Yes. Um, it's still delicious, but really, really salty. So keep yeah. that in mind if you're buying miso. Yeah. The dark ones yeah. are saltier, so don't use quite as much of it. A general rule is that lighter misos are what they call sweet or short-term misos, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that they fermented for a lot shorter time, maybe even just two weeks or up to eight weeks, depending on the recipe that's being used and the temperature that it's fermented at. Warmer fermentation requires less time, whereas colder fermentation requires more time. Darker misos are called uh, long-term miso, so they have to be fermented longer. So it makes sense that longer fermentation is going to develop stronger flavors, a lot more robust in-your-face flavors. Mm-hmm. And so those, depending on how cold or warm it is, can be anywhere from two to three-year fermentation periods or shorter, you know, six months or so. But some of the really dark ones can, can be a lot longer. All right, so let's jump into how do you buy miso? Like, What do you look for? Where do you find it? How do you buy miso? Here in the U.S., I usually see it packaged two ways. In like a little plastic bag almost, and then in plastic tubs. Have you seen Mm. it any other way? No, not that I can think of. I mean, almost always in tubs (laughs) is what I've seen. (laughs) So you're going to... see that and unless you're at an Asian market you're likely going to see that it says yellow miso or white miso and then red miso mm-hmm. but there are some tricks of other things that you can look for to try and get the best possible miso and back to your question about you know trying traditional mm-hmm. miso one of the things to look for is actually looking for the word traditional so if Um, read the packaging and if it says traditionally made or naturally aged that's an indication that that miso was not that temperature controlled steel vat so if you can find traditionally made or naturally aged that's a really good thing also the best misos are made from 100% organic ingredients and sun-dried salt so first look for the word organic and then turn it flip it over And look at the ingredient list and if, you know, you want to see sea salt. So that's another really good indication of the quality of your miso. Another good tip is to look for unpasteurized miso. That's usually stored in the refrigerator section of a market. You can buy pasteurized miso, which they have it sealed in unrefrigerated plastic bags. There are some really good Japanese-made pasteurized misos that you can find sometimes in natural food stores, but use unpasteurized if you can. <laughs> <laughs> I just think the the flavor is better. And that when if you're going to a normal grocery store, like not a Japanese grocery store, you can usually find it near like the tofu and the wonton wrappers and the foreign foods in the refrigerated section. That is where to find it. Yes. Okay, so 
you open up that thing of miso, what should it be like? Well, you want it to be firm. It's, oh, what is the texture? It's kind of a little, kind of a grainy texture and thick, like, well, yeah, depending. Thick. Some, like, Psycho miso, which is a really, it's like the Emperor's miso, really mm. um, very light, is is a bit thinner, but it's kind of like peanut butter you know yeah except not really sticky like peanut butter but but yeah it's kind of thick like that if it's wet or runny that's not a good thing well is that a bad thing or is it just not it can indicate a variety of things it's just not good i mean it could it could be that it wasn't stored at a good temperature you just it's not good right and the same thing if it smells alcoholic that probably means it's not very good (laughs) something went wrong it wasn't manufactured right or it wasn't shipped properly so i would say you probably toss it yeah that that's the wrong kind of fermentation (laughs) you don't want to get drunk off of your miso yeah not a good thing the great thing is if it's stored properly so in an airtight container in the fridge it keeps for a really long time forever yeah (laughs) yeah as long as it's not you know getting wet and running and not obviously growing things or smelling really off, then you can probably still use it because it generally keeps really well. Yeah, mold farming is not encouraged. (laughs) Makes a great science experiment. (laughs) So yeah, if you've got a kid who needs a science experiment, yeah, no. Um, (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) All right, well, next we want to talk about the health benefits of miso because it's really good for you. I mean, that that's, it's a very good reason why miso soup is so popular in Japan is because they associate that with a long, healthy life. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> it's kind of part of, you know, if you're going real traditional Japanese beliefs, it's a way of keeping the body in balance is, has been shown that it's kind of almost like a, if I'm remembering correctly, almost like a natural antacid, which mm. is, probably why some people say that the best hangover cure is a bowl of miso soup again i would not know this is one of those things that this is just hearsay on my part since i've never had a hangover um, me neither but that's what they say but it makes sense with the qualities it has of acting kind of as a natural antacid yeah supposedly it helps the liver cope with alcohol and nicotine so there you go if you drink and smoke have a lot of miso. Yeah. <laughs> but even if you don't. <laughs> it's still good for you. Yeah. It's got a bunch of essential e- amino acids. It's got vitamins, minerals. It's really low in calories and fat. It's effective in lowering high blood pressure and cholesterol. Ooh. Yeah. It's good stuff. And supposedly, I don't think this is 100% sure yet, but there has been research done that suggests that miso wards off cancer. Yeah, and there, there's a ton of this out there. We, we've got, we'll give just a bit of background on this, but this all started during World War II. There was this doctor who was the director of St. Francis Hospital in Nagasaki. Um, his name was Shinichiro Akizuki, and he spent years with his staff treating atomic bomb victims, and they were just a few miles from ground zero of the atomic bomb in Nagasaki. And neither he nor any member of his staff ever suffered from the usual effects of radiation, which is kind of amazing. And Dr. Akizuki hypothesized that this was because 
they drink miso soup every day. So later after the war, there were some people that were kind of reading about this and in light of Chernobyl, because I think I'm totally going off very vague memories here, but I think the Japanese had shipped some miso to Chernobyl. And then, so people were getting really kind of interested in this and, and decided to look into it further. Well, Professor Ito at Hiroshima University's Atomic Radioactivity Medical Laboratory did a bunch of studies. And he found, they did this big study on rats where they fed them and had a control group where they just fed them regular uh, regular food and then had a group where they fed them miso and then they radiated the rats and they studied the effect of the radiation. And they found that the control group that didn't have any miso, the liver cancer rate in those rats was 100 to 200% higher than the rats that had been getting the diet that included miso. And in fact, the rats that had miso in their diet had much less inflammation of the organs that's the, one of the normal effects of radioactivity. So... And there's more to that, but that that was just one of the examples. So, hey, it can't hurt, right? <laughs> no, definitely not. It's definitely good for you. No question about that. So, okay, now that we know it's good for you, how do we eat it? Well, one of our favorite ways is in miso soup. And well, it's of course. <laughs> the Japanese totally have this figured out. The traditional Japanese breakfast is miso soup a bowl of rice, maybe, you know, like a piece of grilled fish. Well, my girls love miso soup for breakfast. And it makes sense that it's a good way to start off the day because it's a great protein source. Mm -hmm. It's really good for you. Great way to start the day. It's filling and it's delicious. It is. Go so miso good. soup. Woohoo! All right. So how else do we use it? Because there are a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of my other favorite ways to use it is as a marinade for fish. Because I make miso black cod all the time. And it is so good. So good. But you can use it as a marinade for tofu, for different kinds of fish, for meats. You can use it in dressings. There's a miso dressing that I am obsessed with. <laughs> so good. And I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you can use it. We went to this one restaurant in Tokyo forever ago when we still lived in Japan. And uh, one of the dishes that we ordered was this vegetable platter. It was like a vegetable miso platter. And they had all these, they had, they brought out um, the platter. It had cups of fresh cut vegetables, you know, like carrot sticks and stuff. And then little bowls of a bunch of different misos. And you just dipped the vegetables into the misos and they were more of the subtle types of miso some that had that were like chunky like mugi miso that had uh, wheat in it or barley and seriously i could have just sat there and had that be my dinner it was so good but you have to kind of branch out and try a lot of misos to find the ones that aren't really really strong because doing that would just like say the misos <laughs> i find at my grocery store would be kind of disgusting <laughs> Here's a big bite of salt. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, usually you don't use a lot. Like when I make a pot of miso soup, I use very, very little miso to make the broth. Mm -hmm. Most of it is just the dashi. So y you have to be careful about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You definitely don't want to overpower your dishes with too much miso because it can be really strong. Yeah. You, you want to subtly integrate it with your other ingredients. 
You want to balance. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways that is a great way to practice this and kind of learn how it works, besides miso soup, which everyone should make because it's ridiculously easy, is to make a dip or a spread. And you just need silken tofu, uh, mellow white miso or yellow miso, and some lemon juice or rice vinegar. And you kind of blend up some of the silken tofu and lemon or rice vinegar and gradually add miso and then kind of adjust your vinegar as needed till you have a flavor that, that you really like. And then you can kind of start to to understand how the miso works in combination with the other ingredients. It's a really good way to learn how that particular miso works. That sounds delicious. Yeah. And then completely customizable recipe. Mm -hmm. And then you can add, you could add water to, to thin it out depending on if you want it to be more of a, a sauce rather than a dip. That's very true. And it's mm -hmm. really good with steamed vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> And sometimes I do that and I add a little bit of uh, mustard and it's really good with, with barbecue chicken. <laughs> Just saying. <You> would. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> oh, we, sh we should mention we should. one last really important thing about using it yes. with cooking, when cooking. Oh, yes. And this is something that we mentioned in our pantry episode when we were talking about Sashi Suse So being the order that you add the ingredients when you're cooking. And if you recall how miso is the so of that, and therefore it's the very last one that you want to add. The reason for that is if you boil miso or heat it too much, it alters the flavor and makes it kind of grainy. And it also destroys the beneficial enzymes and microorganisms that make miso so good for you. So you want to make sure that, for example, when you're using it in soups, you add it near the end of the cooking time, not right at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it makes a massive difference. <laughs> That's why miso soup isn't good as leftovers, because <laughs> when you reheat it, mm -hmm. even if it was perfect when you made it originally, the reheating, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just kind of nasty. <laughs> Shall we wrap it up? Sure. Was this a boring episode? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think it was short and sweet. Okay. So I think we've aged this topic for long enough. Um, <laughs> we can uh, set this miso episode on the shelf. But that doesn't mean that you have to be done because there's plenty of other ways that you can interact with us. That is right. You can call us and leave us a message about your miso experiences or about any questions that you have about miso or any other topic having to do with Japanese food or Japanese culture. Our phone number is 657-4-MISO-FI. That's 657-464-7639. Or if you're not in the United States, you can leave us a message on Skype you can contact us there. Our name on Skype is Miso Hungry Podcast, all one word. You can contact us on Twitter. Our Twitter name is at MisoTalk. We have a Facebook fan page, so you can come hang out with us there. You can email us at MisoHungryPodcast at gmail.com. You can always find our show notes, our episodes, our taco tidbits whenever we get it up, our recipes, 
Our website is misofy.com. That's M-I-S-O-F-Y dot com. And as always, we would love it if you'd leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes because it always makes us feel good and it always helps. I'm Allison Day. And I'm Rachel Hutchings. And you've been listening to the Me So Hungry podcast. The podcast that should be firm, not wet or runny, and stored in an airtight container. Yeah, you definitely don't want to over your power. Oh, yeah. Over you- your power. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because that made complete and total sense.